Oh, hello. This is Katie Way, a writer-editor at Hellgate, and you're listening to The Hellgate Podcast, Spring Edition. Not sure if any of you have gone for a walk outside recently, but it's kind of disturbingly beautiful, and the energy in the city is accordingly quite frenetic. And that's because while we all love shirking our responsibilities because it's too pretty to do any work or go to class, we're also heading into one of the most stressful times of the year, moving season. Can we, you know, insert like a little cheering, like booing here to like, you know, demonstrate how we feel about that? All right, thank you. So moving in New York sucks. And frankly, one of the worst parts of the process is dealing with brokers who occupy a special place in New York City's real estate market as that guy you have to text and call and pay a bunch of money to if you want somewhere to live. But what does a broker actually do? I spoke to Anna Klenkar, who's basically a once-in-a-lifetime find, a cool broker who wants to help renters and first-time buyers navigate the housing market. Anna is a licensed associate real estate broker who also makes TikTok content under the handle Annalie Klenkar that pulls back the veil on the whole finding somewhere to live experience. They agreed to sit down for an interview and answer all of our questions. Brave. Here's our conversation. So, I mean, I guess to start out with, could you walk us through what a broker does? Like kind of a typical, you know, day in the life situ would be awesome. Long story short, we basically are responsible for coordinating transactions. So if that's a landlord who doesn't want to rent out his own place and wants to sort of shunt some of that uh, liability and responsibility to someone else or with sales um, representing either the buyer or the seller and coordinating like the attorneys, all the parties that are involved um, and kind of bringing everything together. And one thing that people always bring up is like, I went to a listing, all the agent did was open a door and now I have to pay them a fee. And that is, we can get into how I feel about tenants having to pay broker fees because I'm very against it. I'm pretty public about that. But the agents do a lot of work. It's just not for the tenant. The listing agent does a lot of stuff for the landlord in advance of any tenant coming in. Yeah. So what does a broker, you know, on the landlord side of things actually do that tenants might not be seeing? Yeah, they're taking on the liability for screening. They're taking on any liability of like, you didn't provide the necessary riders for the lease. You didn't treat every single tenant the same, you're getting hit with like a fair housing complaint, et cetera. They are paying out of pocket for the photographs. They are, you know, having it cleaned. They're coordinating with the prior tenant. They're maybe showing it a bunch of times. Like it depends on the market, of course, but you might have to show something a ton of times. And then what also people don't realize on top of desk fees, on top of insurance, on top of this other stuff, Especially if you're a rental agent, you often give your brokerage upwards of 50% of what you get. Let's say you get a month of rent, then you get about half of that in your pocket and then you pay taxes on it. Yeah. So what is your position on broker's fees and the fact that, you know, tenants do have to pay them? Why does that happen? Should that happen? You know, let's let's get into it. So it's a very like New York thing. And it goes back to there's always been such an imbalance of power in this city between like landlords and tenants. Um, So in most of the country, you either go to a landlord directly or if you go to a building and it's managed or there's an agent in some way, that agent is paid by the landlord. I believe it's only New York and I might be wrong, but I believe it's only New York and Boston where the tenant pays. 
And in New York, the standard is 15% of a year's rent, which is almost two months. And in Boston, I believe it's one month. Boston has something like 50 colleges and universities within its like greater limits. Um, so they know that people are always moving there who are going to have to rent. Mm-hmm. So that's I believe that that's kind of where it came from. Landlords kind of had the upper hand. They didn't have to pay. It also, you know, originated in a very different type of world where rent wasn't. We're like right now we have what is it nationwide? The median one bedroom rent is like fifteen hundred a month, which is not affordable or feasible anywhere. But back in the day when these fees originated, since they are based on what the rent was, if it was like three hundred dollars a month and you made sixty thousand dollars a year. Having to pay someone six hundred was like not a huge deal. Now I was just talking to a friend last night. He was looking at a condo, so it also had a fifteen hundred like condo application fee. But between that and the broker fee, it was like a four thousand dollar a month apartment where he would have to pay over nine thousand dollars out of pocket. Jesus Christ! Which is like I think that's fucking crazy. So you have people who are looking and if you have a landlord and you sign a lease with them and they're paying the fee, they get that first month of rent before they pay the fee. And their fee is usually only one month. I don't know of any landlord that pays 15% to their agent. Because again, the imbalance of power, the tenant needs housing. So a landlord is getting a check for one month of rent and they're basically having to pay out that first month. Whereas a tenant is paying out security first month of rent basically two months as a broker fee, application fees, and then having to go back to small claims court to get their security deposit from their former landlord. People say, well, if we changed it so that landlords pay the broker fees, then rents would just go up more because the tenants wouldn't have to pay the fee. But that's like not really how the market works. Like right now, you can often charge a higher rent with a no fee because people are like making that comparison. But it's not like landlords are charging less because they're getting a fee like intentionally, you know, they're not looking at this and going like out of the goodness of my heart, because this tenant is paying a fee, I'm going to lower the rent. They're they're charging as much as they possibly can. Mm. So if we just eliminate that entirely, then like the whole market resets and there's still kind of a limit to like how much they can raise rent. Gotcha. All right. Yeah, that's super helpful. So. What what is the housing crisis of the last three years? But I mean, like, honestly, obviously, as we've already talked about longer than that, what has that kind of done for brokers? Because I feel like just from like a tenant's perspective, it might be like, oh, you guys are swimming in it. You know, like it's been awesome for you. So I'm I'm just curious, like from the other side of the table. Yeah, I was really worried starting in like I remember October of 2019, I was working with people because I still did rentals at that point. I still did Mm -hmm. a lot of tenants. I'd rental. I was working with this couple. They had great income. They were wonderful. And it was October. It wasn't even the summer. And we could not get them a rental because there were all of these people like we would go see something and the listing agent would be like, we already have 10 applications. And unless like, you know, for a $3,000 apartment, they're like, we have people who make half a million a year who have applied. So, you know, if you don't hit that, like, don't even bother, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, And that really, I was very concerned because that was like, it's always been really difficult for the people at like the lowest rent. But this was like $3,500 one bedroom. The pandemic kind of in New York dropped rents in the short term. And then it just like really came back in a big way. And now it's a national issue as well. 
Um, so people are starting to pay attention to it on a grand scale. But we've been in a like supply crisis as far as like low vacancy, really exorbitant rents in New York for decades. It's like why rent stabilization exists. And it's why landlords are trying to overturn it now by saying that there was a brief period where there was so much vacancy in 2020 that they're entitled to remove all of those protections. So it has not been a net positive for brokers, you would say? I would say it depends on who you are. Um, Mm. Like if you are an agent that works with tenants, it's been brutal um, because Mm. you're just trying to get them in anywhere. And a lot of times you end up like you just basically have to walk away having done all this work, not get paid anything, much like everything, the people at the bottom get the most screwed. So like if you're representing tenants, um, you got screwed. If you represented landlords, you were probably doing well, um, but it was emotionally draining if you're someone who like cares about other people if you have 500 people reaching out begging you for a listing and it's just like exhausting and overwhelming and you have to be very careful that you're not violating housing that you're treating everyone equally blah 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 and then the sales market has just been like up and down i think landlords did poorly for like part of one year or one year but they're you know have bounced back Landlords did well. Go figure, you know. <laughs> so there's uh, there's one TikTok in particular that we thought was really interesting where you talk about how, you know, you personally know real estate brokers who are like breaking the law, you know, fucking over their clients. And Ugh. you can't obviously like name names or talk about them in public. And you just have to like report them. It would be great to hear what kind of things they're doing, you know, any examples and what happens once you actually make these reports like who do you make it to have you ever seen anything come of it stuff like that first of all eric adams whether intentionally or unintentionally has not filled a lot of the positions where you can report and deal with these housing violations i tried to call in something on behalf of a client a discrimination complaint actually on behalf of a super and they were like oh sorry call volume too high try back another time like couldn't leave a message couldn't like figure out when to call like there's just no way to report these things a lot of the time or like if it's something that another broker is doing often the first step is to go to your manager and if it's something that's illegal against a client that's like a violation of fair housing that's one thing if it's a broker doing something that's potentially illegal but it's sort of towards you it can sometimes become like how much of a fight do you want to pick about this Mm -hmm. i've had agents like change the commission on sales um, in the online system and then lie about it, which there's a record of all of it. There are a lot of agents who simply don't understand some of the laws around like ethics or Section 8. That's why there's constantly lawsuits going on. Like you rejected vouchers. You told someone that you wouldn't rent to them because of a reason that is against fair housing. And could you quickly, you know, fair housing has come up like a handful of times um, and especially like yeah. violations. Would you be able to like just kind of run down like what those might be just in case, you know, listeners aren't familiar? Basically, there are protected classes and it, there's nationally protected statewide and in cities. Mm-hmm. So New York has like more protections than most places, mm-hmm. um, but not every class is protected. So You cannot refuse to rent or sell to someone based on things like the color of their skin or a big one is the source of their income as long as it's not illegal. If they are on vouchers or 
they have um, income that's from, you know, a job that you don't particularly like, like, oh, they're a server, like maybe they won't have like long term stability. That's really like not legal as long as they have the right tax documents. Mm. And then that can often be pretty clear and you can file a complaint or it can be something that's a little bit harder to prove where maybe the landlord again, had 15 applications. And all you have to say is we had someone who was more qualified. So even if it was maybe racially motivated, you can't prove that it was. Hi there, this is Katie Way, a writer editor at Hellgate. I know you like our podcast so far. And wouldn't you like even more Hellgate in your life? Subscribe. Hellgate is New York City's only worker-owned local news site. Our goal is to bring readers stories that are trenchant, playful, Outraged, irreverent, useful, and never a chore to read. Go to hellgatenyc.com slash products to subscribe. Okay, back to the podcast. Oh yeah, okay. Another another sort of thing from TikTok. Um it was it was kind of surprising to see you say that ninety percent of real estate agents drop out after their first year of trying it, and that like most people, you know, don't last more than five years. Do you think like that kind of high turnover and, you know, like we've kind of touched on already people who don't necessarily have the best grasp on like the laws and the ethics uh, is part of why the job gets kind of a bad rap? Yeah, it's a low barrier of entry, um, but it's a really hard thing to stick with. Like, honestly, in the past two months, I've been like, maybe I go back to like W2 employment just because having to like you don't have a salary, you don't have health insurance. And I don't know if you guys have to buy your own health insurance, but it is a horrific situation. Um, yeah, like it's so my, bad. Like, and that is a uniquely American problem, of course, on top of housing. So every year you start and you're only guaranteed expenses. Um, and then, of course, it's an industry with a bad reputation. So that can be draining as well. Some of that, of course, is deserved. And some of it is anger at like developers, politicians, landlords, that is being born the like by the representatives rather than the people who are making the decisions. But yeah, really high turnover. And whenever the market's hot, a bunch of people jump in, get licensed, throw all this money down to get started. And so they might be, you know, just getting thrown into the deep end, not knowing what they're doing, inadvertently, you know, breaking the law, making mistakes, um, doing unethical things. And then everything slows down. And suddenly the people who were giving them business, like their team leads, don't have business to give them. So suddenly they're like, how am I going to pay my rent? They get a little bit more desperate. And either you kind of have to leave or you, you know, have a low cost of living. You figure it out. Gotcha. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering, are you following the housing discussion that's happening like up in Albany right now? Because you have like Hokal, who's really looking to build in the suburbs, uh, but she's mm -hmm. not really interested in offering tenant protections. And then the legislature, you know, seems really interested in passing good cause eviction to cap rent increases at 3% and prevent tenants from being evicted for anything but good cause, you know, all that, uh, but not build in the suburbs. So I guess I'm wondering where you personally fall. It's messy, honestly. Yeah. Everything with housing is so complicated and everyone just like wants easy answers. But basically, like I'm a huge proponent of upzoning. I also think that we either need to get rid of broker fees paid by tenants so that tenants have some leverage to be able to move. Because right now, landlords are literally gleefully last summer saying like, what are they going to do? Like I can charge them whatever I want because if they move, they have to pay a fee. 
And I'm like, that's disgusting that you're openly saying that. So I don't think that you should have that leverage anymore. Good cause eviction, I go back and forth on, honestly, simply because it's more of an issue of enforcement. Again, like you're going to end up with people who are trying to fight eviction in court because it doesn't stop them from not renewing your lease. It like gives you a defense in court, essentially. Mm -hmm. So it's like adding more work for the like overextended like New York City legislature and court system to deal with. For example, I'm going to have to go to like small claims court to get my last security deposit back because they just know they're like, we don't care. Like you were going to put this on you. Like, yeah, there's a law that says within 14 days, you have to itemize it all and get it back. But fuck you, basically. Like, what are you going to do about it? I think we should be doing both like tenant protections and building. But I think that building is important to get started and not just get hung up on the tenant protections. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And do you feel like you fall sort of like in step with your peer group about this? Or like, what do you what do you think other like, what do you think other brokers kind of think? You know, what what sense do you get about the general consensus? There are a lot of brokers who agree with me. Um, They might not publicly put it on their platforms because they just don't talk about those things or they don't want to have a target on their back. Um, And then there are definitely people within the industry who just tell me that I'm wrong and to shut up. But in general, like my industry would say that I'm like a hardcore leftist. And I would say that I'm like a moderate if we're not going by like America's moderate, which is a Republican. For sure. Yeah. And so what kind of I guess this this is taking it back a little bit, but both in terms of like sort of bad broker, you know, behavior, but also in terms of like, okay, these laws exist, but landlords are flouting them, stuff like that. Like what kind of laws and reforms do you think need to happen to sort of just create a more equitable system? I try to do anything that doesn't involve a ton of like additional enforcement or like doesn't depend on people going to courts. I think that like one thing that I thought of recently that would make it a little bit better as far as slumlords, if for every certain number of units, you have to have a certain number of employees at your management company. Because right now you have situations where landlords own, say, 200 units and have three people in the office. And that leads to those people being super overworked. They're dealing with like collapsing buildings, angry tenants. They're not equipped for it. And again, rather than having this create more complaints and go more into the system, just saying like, okay, we're going to have an audit every year. How many units do you own? How many employees do you have in your office? What are their salaries? Like that's just, and you file that every year Um, rather than it being like a get away with it until you can't get away with it anymore. And because all of these businesses have to be registered, it's in a little bit of additional work, but it's less additional work than the constant like violations being reported. Gotcha. For sure. Obviously, I I support landlords paying their own fees. Totally. And then I think I think last one, this one, this one, one of my colleagues wrote. So don't get mad at me. No, I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> do you think real estate brokers should exist at all, like within, you know, the system? That's a really tough question. I do think about that a lot, actually. Um, I think in the current system, they are necessary. I don't think that brokers are necessary in every transaction. And we're not in every transaction. There are for sale by owners. There are for rent by owners. There is always that option. Like landlords choose to work with brokers. Like they are the ones who make that choice. Mm -hmm. I don't know about like long term. I think in the short term, we are needed, but I don't think we always do a great job. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, I feel like, yeah, that's a great note to end on. So thank you so much again, Anna. This was super, super helpful. 
that stressed me out and I'm not even moving. But if you're not about to drop $10,000 to put a new roof over your head this spring, uh, you're probably pretty excited about this time of transition. I know I am. And so are Hellgate reporter editor Max Rivlin Nadler and our producer Lauren Vespoli, who we sent to the quintessential New York City spring hang spots, Washington Square Park and Prospect Park, to check in with New Yorkers about the first vibes of spring. Washington Square Park, 72 degrees. What, what kind of emotions does the serotonin is flying? <laughs> I would say happiness. The sun is needed. Yeah, more relaxed than usual. I feel like. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. moving maybe a little slower today and enjoying themselves a little bit more. I would rather be here than in my class that I have now. So You're skipping class? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's not really important. You know, what class is it? Um, computer science. <laughs> okay, whatever. How's today? What's the vibe? How do you feel? Uh, it's a beautiful day. It's very sunny. It's warm. It's kind of scary, though, because 80 degrees in April is not very normal. Yeah. But I'm not mad at it, though, but I'm not ready for summertime. It's probably going to be like 110 degrees <laughs> soon. We're both seniors, oh. so we're about to graduate. So. Oh, my God. What are you guys looking forward to this summer? Um, I'm looking forward to just making memories with my friends and just, I don't even know. Like, usually I feel like the best memories are the ones that don't, that go unplanned. What's a goal you have for this summer? A goal? Mm. Could be abstract, be aspirational, whatever. To grow my locks. Oh, sorry to interrupt. No. To grow my locks. I started my lock journey December 29th and they're coming in good, you know. I just... That's my goal. Not really my goal, but, you know, something I'm looking forward to. And it's really honestly is a goal because I want it done now. So that's, yeah, growing my locks. A goal I have is to, like, make myself a better person and just grow as a person. I'm going into a new chapter of my life now. So I hope I go into that chapter like a a new person. Why? Why are you not enjoying this? Um, So I'm allergic to grass. I'm allergic to trees. I'm allergic to mosquitoes. I'm allergic to bees. I'm allergic to pollen. So I'm just having, like, I like the weather part, but I hate everything that happens because of the weather. (laughs) I noticed the structure of the sticks and this flag. Um, Yeah, what, is this a preschool or? So this is a a urban forest school. That's what we call. It's a playgroup for small kids. Structure is because we find sticks and we collect them. And we have like a secret spot in the woods that we we keep them and we put them out and every day we build something different so the kids can climb and, and have some fun and my imaginary play too. Cool. So. And when the weather starts to get warm, do you notice anything in the kids in terms of like they start acting differently or they're... Oh yeah. They get much more physical and running more and being more active. The behavior is different. When it's sunny, they are super happy and talk more and dance and, it's different. Yeah. I notice you both have uh, your computers out. Are you, what are you up to this afternoon out here? Uh, working. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Do you have any uh, Zoom calls today or anything? I do. <laughs> uh, I'm going to try to see how it, how it works from here for the first time. Um, well, when the, the light changes, uh, people, 
seem to change too. And there's a sense of, you know, lightening up and enjoying more daylight and kind of lightness. I feel it too. I think everyone gets pretty messy. Like, I don't know, people get a little crazy. Like backyard shows, everyone just starts being outside in the street. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when you say messy, like, can you elaborate? I think everyone just can, like, feel it in the air. Like, the warm weather, everyone gets a little, like, frantic and horny, I think. Like, that's the vibe right now, it feels like. Thanks for listening to the Hellgate Podcast. Hellgate is a worker-owned, subscriber-funded news outlet covering New York City. Support our work by subscribing at hellgatenyc.com. Our editorial team is Adlin Jackson, Nick Pinto, Max Rivlin-Nadler, Christopher Robbins, Esther Wong, and me, Katie Webb. Nadia Tykolsker is our business manager. Lauren Vespoli is our producer. Our theme music is by Groupwork. You can find their music on Bandcamp and all streaming platforms. This podcast is engineered by Crutch Phrase Studio. For more Hellgate, subscribe to the Hellgate podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.